Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. Good day, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Smart Center's REIT Q4 2020 conference call. I would like to introduce Peter Fords. Please go ahead. Good afternoon. I'm Peter Ford, President and CEO. Joining me on the call today are Mitch Goldhar, Executive Chairman, Peter Sweeney, Chief Financial Officer, Rudy Gobin, EVP Portfolio Management and Investments. The call will begin with comments by Mitch Rudy and myself, followed by Peter Sweeney, who will talk about our results for the quarter and year-end, including IFRS valuations, liquidity, our debenture issuance, and and accounting provisions. We will then be pleased to take your questions. Our comments will mostly refer to the Outlook and Mixed-Use Development Initiative sections of our MD&A, which are posted on our website. I refer you specifically to the cautionary languages on pages three and four of the MDNA material, which also applies to comments any of the speakers make this afternoon. Today, we will not only provide you with the highlights of the quarter, but update you on our major projects. Our focus remains on operating our existing shopping centers while simultaneously creating value through real estate development. This development process and the value it creates takes time is specific to each one of our significant number of development projects underway and is not conducive to a quarterly reporting cycle. We remain on course with each of these projects as well as remaining on strategy with the portfolio. Within the context of real estate development, this strategy is moving us forward nicely with the rewards from the smart VMC condo closings in the third and fourth quarters. The last nine months were unusual for all of us with the spread of the pandemic, the accompanying shutdown, restarts, and second wave shutdowns across the country. This impacted every one of us personally and from a business perspective to varying degrees. The pandemic added some challenges for us in the short term, but we remained firmly focused on our long-term strategy of growing our mixed-use development. The pandemic challenges required our attention in assisting all of our tenants in various ways by keeping our shopping centers operating so as to effectively serve their communities. With more than 60% of our tenants considered essential services and with food and pharmacy retailers in every center, everyone worked hard to maintain a safe operating environment for tenants and customers alike. The second shutdown at the end of the quarter and into the new year in varying degrees across the country made it an even greater priority for us. Our attention was and remains on assisting our retailers in getting back to opening their stores and operating at full capacity once the lockdowns are lifted, which is just now starting to take place for many tenants. In addition, we have offered our centers to all levels of government and public health authorities to play a role 
in reducing the impact of the pandemic. Initially, you'll recall, we offered our properties for COVID testing and PPE storage and had several institutions accept the offer. More recently, we have been in direct contact with government agencies to, do to donate for free our space as inoculation centers to help accelerate the rollout of the vaccination process for Canadians. As mentioned before, Mitch's vision some three decade, decades ago was to build retail centers with Walmart as an anchor, staying attentive to every detailed step, just as we do today with our mixed-use plans. This includes building a dedicated team and an operating company around it. Our land development mindset and culture makes us unique in operating a shopping center portfolio. Our core competency in land development makes us very comfortable in driving profitability through intensifying and repositioning many of our strategically located properties, almost all of which we know very well because we developed them in the first place. These great shopping centers with a strong tenant base and covenant with their outstanding access on or near highways, transit, and most importantly, in the midst of growing populations, provide a solid foundation to the development of higher and better residential and other uses. Many investors and some analysts are not yet acknowledging or giving us the proper credit for the planning, applications, and physical development that is now underway in so many of our centers, driving significant value, which is here to stay. And with that, I'll pass it over to Mitch. Thank you, Peter. During the course of the last year, we stayed on the offensive, even accelerating the processes of obtaining rezonings and site plan approvals. It is through these approved land use changes that we were able to drive value into our properties and our NAV. The lasting relationships we have forged over the last 30 years with many Canadian municipalities as well as government's general receptiveness to the moving, uh, to moving intensification forward is paying off. On page 18 to 20 of our MDNA, there's a growing list of examples of the very active residential and other development applications and rezoning um, and rezonings achieved um, <clears throat> that were submitted by our in-house development teams during the COVID shutdown or have been well advanced by our team of professionals um, such that the applications will be submitted in the next few months. When you look at the list closely, you will notice the significant amount of residential along with a variety of other new and exciting initiatives creating significant value not recognized in our, IFR, in our IFRS balance sheet values to date. The list on these three pages encompasses in excess of 42 million square feet of additional density. Some built on undeveloped land that we own, some on top of existing retail, and a limited amount replacing existing weaker retail, making for a more dynamic, vibrant, and welcoming mixed-use center. And of course, that is not all. For example, 
many of the future phases of the VMC and our lands in Laval Center in Quebec are not included in that number. The several seniors' residences we are working on with our partner, Rivera. As a very recent example, we obtained zoning approval for four residential towers um, in Barrie on the waterfront for 25 story uh, plus stories each. In Alliston, we received, we recently obtained, sorry, we recently obtained uh, zoning approval to add uh, residential hotel and self-storage to our existing operating Walmart anchored uh, dominant center in Alliston. In Maribel, Quebec, north of Montreal, we obtained residential zoning this past Monday to add 4,000 residential units on our 50-acre site adjacent to our outlet center, a site where we recently doubled our ownership interest from 33 to 66% after acquiring Simon's interest in that surplus property. The first phase will be the development of an apartment, of, of an apartment building with approximately 170 units. <clears throat> we expect to start construction of that in 2022. An eight-acre eight parcel along Young Street next to our Aurora site where we intend to undertake residential. A 50% interest in a Markham Main Street project with Rivera. Now let's talk about the new development initiatives already under construction. Over the last several years, we have pointed out to the investment community that it is part of our culture to deliver on what we say. This was true for the first two office towers at Smart VMC and Vaughn, where we delivered exactly what we said, 100% occupied with strong tenants, downtown Toronto quality towers and under budget, KPMG and the PWC towers. We have just delivered and opened a 177-unit residential uh, rental tower in Laval, Quebec, on our Laval Center site, along with three of our 10 smart stop self-storage developments, being Leaside, Brampton, and Vaughan Northwest. And now our third and fourth quarter results include the closings of the condo units in the smart VMC Transit City 1 and 2 the 55-story towers. Our share, 25% share, of the profit to date from these two towers is contributing $45 million, not counting the townhomes, which have not yet closed but are sold out. In the spring and summer of this year, 2021, we will deliver the closing of 631 units in Transit City 3, generating approximately a $20 million additional profit. For the three towers combined, we are not only meeting, but, ex but expected to exceed our original plan for profit by more than $35 million. Other specific project highlights. One, two additional towers, Transit City 4 and 5, sorry, 1,026 units are sold out, are under construction, 
we have the 20% deposits in place from the purchasers. We are nicely set up for a recurring flow of condominium cash flow um, on these projects. Smart VMC's purpose-built residential rental building of 451 units is under construction along with Transit City 4 and 5. Smart VMC, the new 140,000-square-foot Walmart store opened in October on schedule, allowing for the closing of the existing store on the Smart VMC site and freeing up extremely valuable land for residential, for, for, future, for additional future residential land on which we have already made an application to the city of Vaughan. Self-storage. In addition to the three open and operating properties, there are two others under construction, Oshawa and Scarborough, and six others in the process of obtaining municipal approvals, totaling near 1 million square feet of new development of self-storage. Seniors' residents. First, let me reiterate, with all the troubling pandemic information that is in the news related to seniors, almost all the tragic news relates to government-funded long-term care facilities, a business we are not in. Instead, with our partners, we are developing seniors' apartments with extra amenities and limited levels of, res of, of residential care, all tailored to seniors. Six with Rivera, two with Group Selection. All of these projects are in the municipal approval stage with construction scheduled to start shortly for the two towers in Ottawa. A few general reminders about our development pipeline and capabilities. Most of the development initiatives we are planning are on lands we already own, unlocking value, supplemented by select acquisitions adjacent to our properties and or with existing or new strategic partners. We use our in-house development team to drive these initiatives. We know our markets, the municipalities, and every detail about our properties. We have developed in adverse conditions before, both as a private company and as a public REIT. As an important reminder, across our portfolio properties, none of the additional land value associated with our as-of-right residential densities or our potential densities on rezoning completion is reflected in our property IFRS values. And when we present development project yields or profits from condo projects, land is included in the cost side of the equation at an, at an estimated market price And all internal fees and capitalized costs are included in costs, reflecting a more conservative approach to the, to the calculating of the development yields that we report. After hearing um, all of this and reading the development initiative selected section of our MDNA, you can see the pandemic did not slow down our development drive. To the contrary, we accelerated our transition to a more diversified REIT by moving municipal approvals forward 
which, as stated earlier, is where significant value is created. And it is clear that our current unit price is not reflecting the value of this development potential. As prudent managers of not only our projects, but also of our balance sheet, it is very important to note that we will only move forward with capital-intensive construction initiatives as market conditions warrant. Sufficient pre-sales occur in the case of condos, and only when more than adequate financing is available. Lastly, let me clarify. The disconnect we are seeing between the significant development initiatives underway and some already realized in 2020 with a $45 million profit to date from TC1 and 2 with our unit price displays an illogical discount which ignores the significant value creation from our mixed-use initiatives, predominantly on lands we already own and is not reflected in our IFRS values. Nevertheless, we will stay on course and on strategy as we continue to execute on what we say we will do. Now, I will turn it over to Rudy Goldman. Thank you, Mitch. The pandemic continued to affect the financial results through the fourth quarter, albeit to a far lesser extent than the previous two quarters. Our priority during this period of uncertainty was and continues to be protecting our employees, the communities we serve, our tenants, and our business, while doing everything possible to mitigate the financial implications to ensure liquidity and to continue strengthening our balance sheet. Our operating shopping center portfolio is 97.3% leased at December 31st and remains focused on essential services and value-oriented retail, not fashion, recreational, or entertainment retail. It is well-suited for these turbulent conditions as evidenced by the following. One, based on revenue, 60% of the REIT's tenant base is comprised of essential services which continue to operate throughout the crisis, supporting local communities, meeting the everyday needs of residents for groceries, pharmaceuticals, banking, household maintenance, general merchandise, and other essentials. And this 60% of our tenant base being essential services increases to 70% for the markets outside the greater Vectum area, where our occupancy rates are even higher. In these smaller markets, our shopping centers are often the essential service hub of the area, and in all cases, anchored by a Walmart store. With the pandemic and the lockdowns, early indicators are that the demand for housing, and therefore shopping, in these less urban markets is increasing, as people consider leaving the urban areas for the suburbs. This is good for our shopping centers and further enhances the opportunities to intensify on our existing lands in those markets. Two, Walmart, which anchors 75% of our properties and represents over 25% of our rental income, along with our family of value-oriented, focused tenants, are well-suited to serving its community during this period of pandemic-induced, weaker economic conditions. As we highlighted previously, Walmart plans to spend $3.5 billion over the next five years to make the online and in-store shopping experience simpler, faster, 
and more convenient. This continued commitment to its retail operations in Canada speaks to the ongoing strength of Walmart and its growing ability to drive traffic to our centers. We are fortunate to have opened in the fourth quarter in Vaughan a new Walmart prototype store as part of the Smart VNC store relocation and a first of its kind in Canada, which includes a 10,000 square foot e-commerce omni-channel fulfillment center and a drive-through pickup facility. It will fulfill as many as eight times the online orders of an average Walmart store. Three, virtually all of our revenues from shopping centers are from open format outdoor centers, enabling customers to practice physical distancing while completing shopping for their everyday needs. Shoppers are more comfortable and feeling safer in this unenclosed format. And four, for Q4, our renewal experience, excluding anchors, was 6.9% owing to the seven Walmart stores renewing in that quarter for nearly 1 million square feet. We recognize the importance of small independent retailers to the Canadian economy. Our rent relief focus to date has been on supporting these non-essential small independent retailers, which represents approximately 6% of our contracted rent. As you know, in 2020, the federal and provincial governments put in place the Canada Emergency Commercial Rent Assistance Program, otherwise known as SECRA, designed to assist certain tenants such that, effectively, the tenant bears 25% of its rental cost, the landlord 25%, and the government 50%. The program originally applied to April, May, and June. After communicating with all of our smaller tenants, we applied for relief for all tenants that qualified, approximately 725. And thereafter, we extended such relief for the full six months. To us, this was an important step in the continuity of business for many of these smaller retailers. In Q4, the province of Quebec announced the details of a plan to top up the federal program for Quebec-based tenants yielding a further $450,000 recovery for us. The federal program through the landlords ended in September and was replaced by the Canada Emergency Rent Subsidy Program, which is assisting qualified tenants directly. In the meantime, some of our non-essential medium and larger tenants have also asked for some rent relief or have just not met their rent obligations. While protecting our legal rights as a landlord, we had discussions with these tenants about rent deferrals in a few limited cases, abatements. As the government shut down non-essential retailers for a second time, we have found ways to accommodate tenants with a real need when appropriate and justified, but also factoring in the reality of our own situation and of our unit holders. There have been announcements of several tenant restructurings during the COVID period, either through CCAA or bankruptcy filings. Major names such as Moore's, Comark, Sale, Reapman's, and Aldo. Collectively, all such tenants initially indicated the intention to close 66 units in our portfolio, approximately 415,000 square feet, which is less than one-third of the total units we have with these same tenants and representing 1.65% of gross revenue. 
the remaining 128 of the units with these same tenants will continue to operate. Generally speaking, these tenants have expressed a strong interest in remaining in our Walmart anchored centers. Now, 145,000 of the 415,000 square feet previously mentioned for closure were two sale units, Etobicoke, near Sherway Gardens, and Vaughan, our 407 redevelopment site on the west side of Highway 400. Discussions with several interested retailers for both locations have taken place, including with food, medical, and sporting good users. Ultimately, such use will undoubtedly convert to residential or other mixed uses over time as we obtain appropriate municipal permissions. But in the meantime, we will continue to maximize cash flow and value. With the remaining 270,000 square feet of vacancy from the balance of the COVID-related bankruptcies, we will continue our routine work of filling up all of these with the best fit tenants for each center. As shown in our MDNA, cash recoveries from our tenants continues to improve. In our April update press release, we indicated cash recoveries for the month of April was 67%. As of now, we have collected nearly 84% of gross billings for the month of April. With cash received from tenants and including the SECRA recoveries. In fact, gross billings collected improved from that 84% for April to 96% by the end of Q3 and remaining in the 94 to 95% range in the fourth quarter. And to avoid any confusion, gross billings used in these calculations are based on rent rules excluding tenants that closed through CCAA or the bankruptcy process. And now I will turn it over to Peter Sweeney. Thank you, Rudy, and, and good afternoon, everyone. As we know, these challenging times will test the balance sheets of many real estate companies. However, for many years now, we have encouraged the capital markets to focus on our commitment to the smart centers balance sheets. Our unyielding focus on conservative capital management, our discipline in the deployment of capital on acquisitions and developments, and our continued desire to match gearing and similar debt levels to the long-term nature of our assets the strategic focus on long-term viability and growth have allowed us to manage through this period of uncertainty. In this regard, we note the following highlights for the year ended 2020 as compared to the prior year. Number one, in keeping with our strategy to repay maturing mortgages and to grow our unencumbered pool of assets, unsecured debt in relation to total debt increased to 68% from 63%, and our unencumbered pool of assets continued to grow, increasing by approximately $150 million, $5.8 billion, as compared to the prior year. And we expect these metrics to continue to improve in the future. Number two, our triple B high credit rating from DBRS continues to attract debt capital at historically low interest rates for longer terms, and in keeping with our strategy to take advantage of lower interest rate environments pursuant to our refinancing activity during 2020, our weighted average interest rate for all debt continued to decrease and at year end was 3.28% as compared to 3.55% for the prior year. And our weighted average term of debt was maintained at five years 
And then lastly, number three, our interest coverage ratio, net of capitalized interest, was maintained at a very strong 3.7 times level, this in spite of the COVID-19-related provisions that were necessary. And our adjusted debt to adjusted EBITDA multiple ended the year at 8.5 times, both metrics reflecting the business's strong and stable ability to fund its obligations even during these uncertain times. From a liquidity perspective, as we look to the immediate future and continue to manage through the current uncertain capital markets environment, in addition to the conservative debt metrics noted above, please also consider that at the end of the year, our liquidity position exceeded $1.5 billion, which is represented by over $794 million in cash on hand, our undrawn line of credit, which stands at $490 million, and our $250 million available accordion feature. A portion of these funds are earmarked to fund the following. Number one, January of 2021, we used $300 million of this cash to early redeem both Series M and Series Q debentures. Number two, we intend to use $323 million to repay our Series T debentures that mature in June of 2021. And then lastly, number three, we expect to repay approximately $50 million in maturing mortgages over the next six months. Note also that we continue to deploy a strategy that permits construction of any large development project to begin when it has appropriate project financing in place to ensure project completion of our various development initiatives. And we are presently speaking with lenders concerning construction financing alternatives for several of our proposed developments that are expected to begin construction this year including a large retirement home project in Ottawa, several apartment building projects in both Ontario and Quebec, and also a large townhouse project in Vaughan. In 2020, our liquidity position was further strengthened with proceeds received from the closing of over 1,100 units in the first two phases of our Transit City project. In aggregate, over the last two consecutive quarters, we have received over $53 million in proceeds from the closing of these first two phases. Similarly, in 2021, we expect to recognize approximately $25 million in FFO from the closings of Transit City 3, and we expect this recurrence of FFO and cash flow from the closing of condominium and townhome developments to continue for many years to come. The cash flow generated from these closings further fortifies our liquidity position and also supports our distribution strategy. As Rudy has mentioned, we continue to experience substantive improvements in our collection levels in the fourth quarter and our provisions for bad debts were significantly reduced from our experience in both the second and third quarters. In this regard, in addition to the $25.2 million in provisions that were taken in aggregate for the second and third quarters, we provided for an additional $5.4 million in COVID-19 related provisions in the fourth quarter of 2020. These fourth quarter provisions represent approximately 35% and 55% of those taken in Q2 and Q3 respectively and reflect the continued improvement in collection activity over the last nine months. From a valuation perspective, 
the stability that we experienced in the third quarter continued into the fourth quarter with cap rates, discount rates, and other modeling variables remaining status quo and resulting values remaining stable for our portfolio of income-producing properties. Our development property portfolio experienced an $18 million IFRS loss in value during the fourth quarter that was principally driven by more conservative leasing assumptions being included in the valuation models for our retail development. After the valuation erosion experienced during the first two quarters of 2020, which was primarily reflective of additional vacant space and the additional time now expected to backfill such space in our portfolio, much of which resulted from the COVID-19 experience, the year's second half experience is directionally important because it suggests that the market has now stabilized. And based on the discussions that we have had with the appraisal community, we are not expecting any substantive further declines in property values for the first quarter of 2021. As we have said many times in the past, it is important to recognize that we have not factored into our IFRS values any value that accrues from future development of mixed-use space and these future value increments that are derived from our proposed mixed-use initiatives are substantial. And with that, I'll turn the call back to Peter Ford. Thanks, Peter. So to, so to sum it up, a very interesting quarter and year. Over $45 million of profit in the last two quarters from condo closings at Transit City 1 and 2 in Vaughan. A rapidly improving rent collection picture. An accelerated mixed-use intensification and development program with 56 projects underway. Sorry, 57. And a solid occupancy level of 97.3%. Prudent and strategic acquisitions adjacent to existing properties and or with established or new partners, and a strong focus on our balance sheet. And with that, we'll turn it back to the operator to coordinate us in addressing your questions. Thank you. As a reminder, you may up ask a question by pressing the number zero one. And in case you uh, wanted to cancel your question, you can always press the pound sign. Thank you. And currently, uh, there are no one uh, asking a question here. Okay. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Okay. Uh, yeah, we do have uh, the first person queuing up here. <coughs> and uh, yeah, the first uh, person is Sam Damiani from TD Securities. Please go ahead. Thank you. Good afternoon, everyone. Good afternoon, Sam. I wonder if you uh, if you could just explain the uh, the total return swap that was announced uh, in the uh, in the press release. Uh, 
Uh, yeah, well, as you know, we uh, we have a lot of uh, liquidity and cash, so we have made an arrangement, made a deal with a uh, with a major institution, institutional bank, um, whereby we would be achieving a better a better return, better yield on our on our cash. Um, you know, it's for a period of time. Uh, um, so yeah, um, the arrangement is, uh, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a deal whereby we will, the result will be that we will achieve something, you know, the intention is that we will achieve something closer to the yield of our units. Um, and instead of what we're getting, you know, as a cash deposit in the bank. So, um, it's just been, uh, you know, we just made, made the deal recently. Um, so it's just, uh, early stages, but, uh, that's, um, that's the reason for it. And that's ultimately the, you know, effectively what will be expected to happen. Okay, that's helpful. Thank you. And and does does the REIT have the, the sort of unilateral right to to sort of unwind it, or how does that how does it how does it work? How does it sort of come to its uh, conclusion? Yeah, I mean, you know, we'll, we'll we'll give more detail on some of the mechanics of the deal, um, but you know, suffice to say that you know we've uh, we're satisfied with the with the deal. I mean, you know, we satisfy with the risk reward and all the all the various, you know, uh scenarios and so you know, we'll go into there's lots of details, we'll go into those, share them with you as, you know, uh, with everyone in in the next quarter. Okay. All right, that's helpful. And just switching on to the the development pipeline which was expanded. Um including obviously the REITs portion as well. So there's, you know, uh, there was a lot on the books to, to, you know, to do over the next few years is even more now. Um, is, is capital recycling, you know, becoming more of a factor in your, in your mind in terms of funding this, this activity over the next, uh, next few years, or uh, how should we think about how that 3 billion is going to be funded? Yeah, I mean, I mean, firstly, I mean, you should keep in mind that we don't have to do any of it, you know. Uh, so, you know, we didn't buy this at market, and you know, there's not a loud clock ticking. But um, you know, we want to do it, and we fully intend on doing it, but we don't have to do it. And so, um, yeah, one of the in terms of the hierarchy of guiding principles of whether we proceed or not will be um, our availability of whatever equity is required and capital requirements and availability of of you know financing um, and uh, and of course our our debt levels which you know we're going to be very protective of so but we do believe that uh, through various um, programs, uh, which may include, uh, you know, 
bringing in a partner here and there at market, which will be a source of equity. Um, you know, obviously deposits on condo sales. Um, you know, may even include the sale of a few properties. Um, uh, there'll be various, and of course, you know, proceeds from closings of you know condos from previous years. Um, so these will be, among others, um, sources of capital equity, and there's the financing availability as well. Um, so each and every, as we get closer and closer to being able to commence in any one of these places, um, you know, and the market's there, and we're happy with the returns. You know, these are sort of levers that we, you know, can pull and will pull if um, we need to to protect those, you know, higher tier priorities. Thank you. And uh, my last question is just on occupancy. Maybe Rudy, how do you, how do you, how did you see the fourth quarter? Did that meet or exceed your expectations? You know, down just very slightly. And what what are you thinking about for the next uh, you know Q1 and Q2 generally high level in terms of where you know occupancy could uh, could end up? Yeah, I think given what was going on in the uh, world and our markets, um, we were we were pleased um, with the outcome. Uh, we did have a uh, you know a, a reduced amount with the CCAA tenants, bankruptcy tenants that filed in Q. Two affected Q3 and Q4. Obviously, not a lot of tenants were ready to jump back in and start leasing space in Q3. But by Q4, there was an uptick. There was an uptick of of a number of tenants. I think we did almost 200,000 square feet of leasing in Q4 alone um, to the tenants who wanted to expand their footprint. Um, which was very good. Uh, you know, you know, people weren't looking at a, a re-lockdown. Uh, now that the re-lockdown is has locked down and now is reopened or will reopen shortly, um, that's that did bode well for us. So um, you, you saw the the returns in rents. So we had a high recovery rate in our rental uh, in our rental uh, structures. So that was good too. So so I think you know the rec- the recovery is happening slowly and we're looking at this market and we're looking at the shutdowns and you know hopefully everything will continue to slowly improve and we don't go into any more of these um so that we will see we will see a little bit of an improvement into 21 i think the first quarter sam as you know is always a quarter where people smaller struggling tenants um uh, at the beginning of the year, they make it through the, 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 the Christmas holiday shopping season, and then um, there's always a little bit of fallout. Um, that in this case, you know, there wasn't a big shopping season um, uh, over the holidays, so I expect a smaller fallout, but nevertheless a little bit of a fallout in Q1, and then a, and then an improvement over the uh, over the balance of the year. So that's how I would think it would it would play out. Again, everything everything subject to the pandemic um, uh, reflecting the recovery that it's currently reflecting over the last week or two, which is which has been great. Is that okay, Sam? Yep. Might have lost Sam. Thank you. Yeah, and yeah, Sam. Uh, yeah, he uh, he left here. So uh, yeah, so we do have another um, 
question here. Yeah, the next question is from uh, Brandon Abrams from Canaccord Genuity. Please go ahead. Hi, good afternoon, everyone. And um, there might be some issues with the uh, the, the operator uh, and, the, and trying to get into line, so just to be aware of that. Um, maybe just on the distribution, you know, some of your peers have uh, revised that in the last few months, and just given kind of the current environment and, uh, you know, significant capital commitments required for the development pipeline going forward. Um, you know, have there been any discussions on um, the distributions and, you know, to what extent would, you know, things really have to, um, you know, change here to, uh, to, make, to make an adjustment there? Maybe on mute. Mitch, Mitch, you might be on mute. Uh, we might have lost Mitch here. I, I don't see him in the conference anymore. <laughs> yeah, he's he's not here. So he okay, might have Peter. to call back here. Yeah. yeah. Peter, do you want to take that one? Sure. Um, so I, I think it's fair to say, and just to remind everyone, you know, decisions on uh, distributions ultimately are board-level decisions. Um, uh, clearly, management has recommendations, but, but ultimately our board will be responsible for making this decision. Um, I think it's fair to say that several years ago, uh, smart centers embarked upon a strategy to roll out uh, a robust mixed-use development platform. That's not news to anybody on this call. And I think it's fair to say also that at that time, what we announced was that we thought that this new mixed-use initiative program um, would supplement um, growth from the existing core portfolio of shopping centers. and. Little did we know that there might come a time where, you know, we would go through a pandemic year where this mixed-use development platform would actually assist in allowing our distributions to be maintained. But that's effectively what has taken place in 2020, where this pipeline of new development initiatives actually got its start. And I think, as Mitch mentioned, we had two consecutive quarters uh, in Q3 and Q4 of distributions coming from Transit City. And clearly, those distributions have helped um, uh, supplement the challenges that were experienced in the other part of our business. Having said that, it's also, and I, this should also come as no surprise, that we expect this condo and townhouse profit to be forthcoming now for many, many years to come. And so it's fair to say when our board thinks about distribution levels, ultimately they think about you know, our payout ratio in relation to those distributions, Mitch is back, and and clearly at you know an 87 percent payout ratio, Brandon, um, our board has you know determined for now that um, it wasn't prudent to for them to think about uh, a distrib distribution cut. Mitch, I'm just answering Brandon's question on distributions uh, while you're offline. Yeah, I mean. I you may have already covered it, but uh, 
we can uh, sustain our um, level of distributions as we see it um, based on, I'm sure what Peter covered off there. Um, and we're satisfied that the payout ratio is, you know, with our, with our various programs is, uh, you know, is, is solid and conservative enough. Um, so, uh, now of course we are not happy with the, uh, with the unit price and the yield. Um, and we'll obviously layer in the consideration of what is the best use of our capital. Um, you know, uh, because, uh, it's just not, um, we don't think that it's, I mean, you know, I know everybody thinks their stock is low and, you know, the usual cliches, but, but, you know, it is a bit, it is a bit uh, extreme to, to actually have closings and cash coming in and, you know, visibility on the program and, uh, and still be operating at a, you know, at the yield that we're operating at, at unit price we're at, as well as uh, uh, zero basically value put on lands that are extremely valuable. I mean, could be sold. I mean, we just got an approval of 12 million square feet on a 700,000 square foot shopping center, you know, an additional, you know, basically 11.3 million square feet on top of what we are, you know, valued at in Cambridge, you know, uh, which is actually, you know, unbelievable uh, master plan for, uh, you know, it's a company in and of itself, that property. As it is currently now zoned, and of course, um, you know it's, it's it's valued based on some multiple of our income on Cambridge, and that's true with VMC, which is zoned for millions of square feet. And by the way, I don't know whether everybody has figured out. I was meaning to emphasize that you know the condo profits from TC one, two, three, four, and five are substantial, but they are the result of sales per square foot less than what was being sold across the street at festival. So the latest condo sales are somewhere between 50 and a hundred dollars per square foot higher than our TC five sales were at. And going forward, it is our intention, you know, to do it in house. Um, hence the REIT share will be 50%, not 25%. And that's just VMC. And so to factor the value, if we were to take all of what I just said on just say uh, Transit City into the, you know, the, the, the valuations of, you know, say the NAV alone, um, I would be adding zero uh, to our NAV because that's what's, that's what's being um, allocated to that property. So we, you know, we have so many of those properties that are currently zoned and, you know, imminent from generating cash flow and generating cash flow. We can't ignore the fact that um, that the market has had time to digest all this and uh, are looking at, solely looking at, uh, you know, payout ratios of, of um, leased space, even though we are well into a significant transformation, very profitable one. So that does not go ignored, but if it was just strictly on the basis of our ability to, you know, sustain those payout ratios and not an examination of uh, the best use of our capital, then, you know, we would stick by our statement that, 
and we intend on maintaining distributions. Okay, um, so that's helpful. And maybe just before I turn it over, just on that um, last point about uh, the disconnect between the unit price and uh, the value that uh, that the board and management sees sees in the REIT. Um, you know, I know insiders have you know acquired the stock quite significantly in the last over the last year. You know, would the REIT consider using the NCIB to uh, uh, to purchase units? Uh, I know there's a lot of capital allocation. You know, opportunities and decisions, but would that be uh, something to be considered um, for 2021? We, you know, um, we passed the NCIB a year ago, I think. So, you know, we obviously you know, keep all our options open. Uh, we did just make a deal with, uh, with the institution on you know, um, a potential uh, strategy to use some of our cash uh, that we're, you know, fresh, it's new, but at the moment we're, we're satisfied with. So, you know, we'll be looking, you know, we're, we're looking at all of these things for sure. Okay, that's great. I'll turn it over. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And um, yeah, as a reminder, you may queue up to ask a question by pressing the number zero one. Uh, currently, we do not have any other questions. Operator, if you could just give it a minute. Thank you. Okay, we we have uh, one person that queue up here. We're just getting their name here. It won't be long here. We'll take a minute. Thank you. You know what, operator? Would you remind everyone on the call what the routing in instructions are to place a call? There seems to be maybe some confusion. So maybe you just remind them as to what yeah. they have to press to get a question, please. Yeah, sure. Yeah, as a reminder, you may press zero one to queue up to ask a question. Okay, so the next question is from uh, Tal Wooley from NBC. Please go ahead. Hey guys, I made it. I'm excited. <laughs> <laughs> It's a skill testing thing we do here. <laughs> you got a really, really want to ask a question. Uh, okay, where to start? Um, just, I, I know you'll sort of unveil a little bit more about the total return swap choice. I just a couple of good questions, uh, Peter. If we're thinking about this, it, this just means like we should be thinking about uh, taking up probably our interest income forecast a little bit going forward, as long as this is on the books. Uh, I don't think it's interest income per se. We're still working, Tal, on the accounting elements of this arrangement because obviously it's new and it's sort of pioneering in some respects from an accounting point of view. So as Mitch mentioned, I think we'll 
be able to provide a little more clarity uh, in our Q1 disclosure on what to expect for this going forward, Sal. So it's really, I think, too early to say. Okay, TDA, perfect. Um, Self-storage, you know, of the sites that you have sort of being under approval right now, how many of the uh, proposed sites are on existing smart centers retail land or are, are they all on sort of like adjacent or new lands? Peter. Yep. Uh, I mean, they're all, they're all on lands that were adjacent or part of our shopping center that at one time would have intended to be retail, um, mm-hmm. but are now, we are now doing the self-storage instead of retail. But there, I'm not thinking of one um, other than the one we bought strategically with our partner on DuPont Street downtown. All the other ones are on existing uh, shopping center lands um, that we already owned, or in one case we bought some land across the street from a shopping center, um, I guess, that we, yeah, in Aurora. But other than that, they're all on a part of our shopping centers. Yep, that's correct. Yeah. Okay. Um, and then I just wanted to ask a question, too, about um, sort of the type of tenant that, you know, like my my sort of recollection of how some of your smaller tenants or like your non-anchor tenants got into uh, smart centers uh, properties is that, you know, you had like a lot of mid-market apparel retailers like the Reitmans and the Comarks of the world that you mentioned earlier, who in the late 90s and early aughts, you know, saw the rents at smart centers as being far more affordable and that Walmart was driving a ton of traffic, right, versus some of the more traditional uh, department store anchors. And that Walmart traffic is, you know, clearly going to continue into the future, but you know, with some of these guys retrenching, like who's who's the right tenant for the future for those four and five thousand square foot boxes that were sort of formerly formerly occupied by um, the apparel the apparel guys? Because you know, you've got you guys have gone a tremendously long way with uh, other value tenants like Dollarama. I'm just wondering who you think you see as like the right replacements for those apparel for those apparel tenants. Um, well, you named a couple right there. I mean, you know, uh, there's still lots more Dollaramas of the world. Uh, we do a lot of, you know, there's, um, um, uh, you know, not in the 5,000 foot range, but we do a lot. We're in negotiation with a lot of, uh, potentially new, uh, TGX concepts. Um, for example, um, so, uh, you know, there's been some kind of interesting emergence of new restaurant concepts that, you know, build kitchens that supply multiple, actual multiple, um, restaurant chain, you know, different banners. So we've been leasing to, um, quite a bit actually lately um so you know uh there's um you know there there's other discount um concepts that are replacing you know reitman's was never used 
Simmons is an example. They're never really a discounter. They just found a way to improve their margins by getting out of the malls. Um, but they're partly also being replaced by some new discount concepts uh, that um, you know are very suitable and compatible with our with our, with our formats. Rudy, I'm sure you also have some other. Yeah, specific sure. examples because I know we're doing quite a bit of leasing in that space. Yeah, like cannabis. The, cannabis, by the way, uh, cannabis is another area. When something's busting, something else is booming, and cannabis is quite is booming quite a bit actually right now. But go ahead, Rudy. Sorry. Yeah, no, no. You know, we looked at in the last uh, half of the fourth quarter a big uptick in in calls from tenants wanting to take advantage of the space. Um, so we're seeing. Uh, we're, we're trying to put in something, let's say, that, that would fit very well with each of those communities, not just fill a space because somebody called to fill a space. Um, so we have everything from daycare wanting to come back into our centers um, because the daycare business is, you know, is, is required. People want it, they, they want it near uh, retail. Medic, medical, not just medical dental, not just medical doctors, but labs are asking for uh, a lot of our locations, they want to put in uh, labs. Small, what I'm going to call small fitness. You know, the 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 the, the Orange Theory F45s. They don't think that's going away. Um, they may think the the bigger fitness may be slowing down, but the small um, uh, face-to-face dedicated fitness thinks that they'll be fine. Smaller pharmacy are calling us up saying they want to open up a small pharmacy. Obviously, Mitch mentioned fa- fast food. The fast food business, some of them were doing quite well. Uh, for takeout, so they are interested, not the sit-down restaurant types. Um, obviously, liquor, beer, we're all still doing new deals with us. Um, we had a number of, I'm going to call it small financial firms, um, who, not not the, the Schedule A banks, but small other financial firms. And then you had a bunch of office, I'm going to call it the retail, the retail office type offices, like brokerages. You know, they want to be in a shopping center. They don't want to be in an office building if you're a brokerage. Um, so we we had a lot of different uses that were typically not um, you know wouldn't want a big part of a of a shopping center and something and, and we're also now attracting the stronger tenants who might have been in light industrial who want to move into the mainstream retail uh, so that's coming in as well so we're we're looking at all of the different kinds of uses keep in mind we were never big on what you call fashion retail and our fashion retail like the reasons you mentioned, we're only in some of our bigger bigger centers, and some of them had a had a the dream of well, I'm just going to be where Walmart is, and that has worked out very well for them, by the way. In our Reedman's, uh, you know, 60 of those locations remained open, uh, and because they're in a Walmart anchored site, uh, and 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 they're carrying on. So, not a not a large number of the tenants that filed actually closed stores in our locations. You know, if you think of, for example. Um, uh, Moore's. Moore's had 23 locations in our portfolio. They literally only closed four. Every other one is operating uh, and in a Walmart anchored site. So, um, you know, so we have a lot of uses coming in, and we like to see that we like the traffic we're seeing. So we're we're very pleased by 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 uh, um, what's transpiring right now. And I, I guess just my last question would be, um, you know. You guys have some malls yourself. Um, 
but you know there's obviously been a lot of you know discussion concern around the enclosed malls we're seeing some you know transactions being done you know even on regional malls now and do you feel like um that there's like you know that that asset class is going to bounce you know bounce back um or is do we potentially have a concern with like malls being a bit of a weight on the overall market going forward like now that we're sort of maybe getting closer to the end of the pandemic you know as we, is that going to be a more competitive uh you know option or is it still going to be sort of like um the premium rent to what you would be offering uh in the open air centers Mitch, you want me to take that one? Yeah, I'm sorry. Uh, what was that? I just, I don't know what happened. I got disconnected again. What was, <laughs> uh, I, heard, I caught the last part of that question. What was? Yeah, I, I'm just trying to get a sense of how, how do you feel about malls right now, like now that we're getting through the end of the pandemic? Because I'm just wondering, like, you know, we've all obviously had concerns about, you know, how malls will fare uh, pre and post pandemic and whether it could, you know, do these properties need to restructure and could they become a little bit more competitive in terms of rent with um, with uh, open air centers? Well, Uh, who are Mitch. we looking for? Mitch. Sorry, did we lose him again? Probably. Uh, we at some point we had Mitch on two lines, and yeah, now he's he's for sure gone here. He's I think he's trying to call back. He won't be long here. Okay. It's okay, guys. We can follow up later. It's probably easier to do this on a regular call. <laughs> well, for, you know, but <clears throat> I mean, I'll just say first of all, we do not have many malls, as you know, Tal. Yeah. But I think, um, and I think. Obviously, the top top regional malls are going to will likely be doing very well once we get out of the pandemic. But I think this medium to smaller malls in smaller communities are likely going to continue to struggle as they were before the pandemic. So, I mean, I don't know whether that's I have no idea if that's what Mitch was going to say, but that would be my view. Okay. Thanks very much, guys. Appreciate it. Okay. Thank you, Tal. Yeah, and uh, we do have uh, another question here. The hey, next Vaughn, question. Vaughn, yeah. just one sec. Before we yeah. hear this question, can you just remind maybe some of the other analysts on the call, again, just give them instructions on, on how to ask the questions, please? Yes, uh, sure. Uh, yeah. I got disconnected uh, again. You guys... Yeah, Mitch uh, is back, yeah. I'm sure you got the gist of the answer, but you guys, you know... Technology is trading at you know fifty times and doesn't you know it doesn't work. And, uh, <laughs> never mind. Um, okay, I'm sure you got the gist of the answer. Uh, don't think that our competitors are suddenly going to become enclosed malls, but you know, I mean, uh, uh, I mean, I, I think there's going to be a lot of changes with enclosed malls for sure. But I don't think that they're going to be. Uh, a direct, you know, suddenly become a, a new type of a competitor. I don't see that. 
Thank you, Mitch. Uh, yeah, as a reminder, you may queue up to ask questions by pressing the number zero one on your keypad. And the next question is from Michael Marquides, uh, private investor. Please go ahead. Uh, hi, uh, am I on? Yep. You're on, Michael. Yep. <laughs> hi. So, hello from Greece, and thanks for taking my question. And congratulations on the progress on your redevelopment pipeline uh, in the past year. My question is: uh, in the past year, there was an increase of 8.2 million in the general and administrative expenses. Uh, I would like a bit of, you know, I would like you to elaborate on uh, what that included and whether it is here to stay in these expenses or whether they are uh, expected to go down uh, this year and in the future. Thank you. Uh, I guess Peter, Peter, maybe you want to? Yeah, I can. It's Peter Ford. I'll start and Peter Sweeney will jump and add if I miss something. But uh, basically, the, some of it is salaries um, and, and benefits, which is partly um, obviously and normal annual increases, but more importantly, we did add some staff during the year. I think probably about 15 net uh, on average addition during the year compared to the previous year. Um, a lot of that would have been, I guess, development-related uh, activities or people. We did have a lot of legal fees that we incurred uh, during 2020 as compared to 2019, um, and then we did incur some uh, additional uh, other expenses, uh, IT and so on. So to answer your question about how do I see it in terms of going forward, I would say about half of that is probably um, something that would continue and half would not be, meaning especially the legal fees would not be something, uh, it was some special things that were going on in 2020 um, that would, I would not and which some related to COVID, uh, some related to the special transactions that we completed in 2020, and I would not expect to uh, we'd be incurring again. Yeah, I think Peter, the only other thing that we might want to add is that in that GNA number, that that eight million dollar year over year increase, that does include uh, 1.8 million of costs, GNA costs attributable to Transit City. And so from an accounting point of view, uh, those costs would have been capitalized until the project's completion, which took place, as, we, as everyone knows now, in Q3 and 4. And so we would have had to take those $1.8 million of G&A costs into, into account in uh, 2020. So that amplified uh, that year-over-year increase as well. So at least $1.8 million of that $8 million uh, is attributable to you know, the closings of Transit City 1 and 2. Got it. Okay. Thank you. And uh, here's to a better year this year. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you. And as a reminder, you may queue up to ask a question by pressing the number zero one. Uh, currently, we do not have any other questions. I guess uh, given there are no further questions, I just want to thank everybody for taking the time to participate in our
fourth quarter 2020 call. And everyone, please continue to stay safe. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, this concludes the Smart Center's read quarter four 2020 conference call. Thank you for your participation and have a nice day. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.